Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Deemer. Today on the show, we have a special interview with our own Scott Cipollina, interviewing CEO of eToro, Yoni Asia. That's today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Saturday, August 28th, 2021. As you heard in the intro, we have a special interview for today. So you're going to have less of me talking and more of somebody else talking, which might be good for some people. Yeah, get a break of my voice. But of course, we have to do crypto prices and coin of the day. But before we get into both of those, if you remember earlier this week, or was it last week, we had on a coin called OK Boomer. And, well, they're looking for help. So if you want to get involved in the crypto space, start working for a token and start, you know, growing a small, I guess, new project, here is a project update and information of how to get a hold of OK Boomer. Hi, Matthew. This is Ben from OK Boomer Token. Uh, I just want to give you a quick update. Right after we spoke on the show a couple of weeks ago, we've really uh, made a lot of movement on, on not, not only our educational um, use case, but also an NFT use case. So we've been speaking with a couple of former NFL players about um, creating an NFT series around them with, uh, with OK Boomer promotion, where a lot of the proceeds would go back into the token. So we're very excited about it. Uh, on that point, we're looking for, um, for artists to help create these NFTs. Uh, and separately, just going back to the educational initiative, uh, we're also looking for content creators that can talk about crypto and blockchain related topics, right? So if you have any listeners that would be interested in either uh, developing content around, you know, videos for educational materials or uh, who have artistic skills that would want to help with our NFT initiative with our uh, NFL players, uh, we'd love to speak with them. If anybody's interested, please reach out to us at marketing at okboomertoken.com. Thank you. I can't tell you how many people were listening to my podcast over the years, wanting to start working in the crypto space, and are still working in the crypto space because they heard somebody on the show, they reached out to that token or that project, they got their first job working in the crypto space, and now years later, some of them five years later, are still working in the crypto space. So if you want to start working and dabbling in this industry, please give them a call, see if you can start working with them, and well, please update me if you do. Now let's get into those crypto prices. And I'm recording this at 10.20 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is in at $48,730, up 2% in 24. Ethereum's in the number two spot, $3,233, up a half a percent. Cardano, number three, $2.83, up a half a percent. Binance Coin, down a half a percent at $4.86, and Tether's in the number five spot. Rounding off the top 10, we have XRP, Dogecoin, Solana. Solana's in number eight. Holy, what happened overnight? Solana, $93.23, up 15.5% in 24. Wow. Number 9, USDC, and number 10, Polkadot. Total market cap, we're at $2.09 trillion and a BTC dominance of 43.7% and an F dominance of 18.1. Now it's time for Coin of the Day. 
And today's coin of the day is MCO, which is ranked number 307 on coin market cap, currently trading at a price of $9.67, up 1.8% in 24. Its market cap is $152.7 million and a fully diluted market cap of $306 million. Its total volume is around uh, $850,000 in 24. Now, MCO is the native token of Crypto.com. I actually bought this token back in 2017, uh, right after they launched. I think they launched late 2016, but I bought it a couple months after they launched in 2017. Huddled for a while, got depressed because I think they changed their branding and, and I didn't couldn't get a hold of them to, for an interview when I was doing my show back then. And so I sold it. But what do they do? MCO or Crypto.com project was founded in 2016, like I just said, with the intention of helping everyone control their money, data, and identity. It currently has over 1 million people on its platform and provides an alternative to traditional finance services. The idea of having cryptocurrency in every wallet is increasing as a result, and it's being built and sold securely, privately, and most importantly, it's compliant as the first cryptocurrency token to have a CCSS level 3 ICO blah 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 level 1 compliance and is headquartered in Hong Kong. If you guys remember, the CEO of Crypto.com, Chris Marzalek, was on the show about a month ago talking about different partnerships they were having. I think they're talking about a partnership with F1 Racing. Well, I just found that episode and it's on June 29th. So if you want to hear that episode and hear that interview, go back to our June 29th episode with the CEO, Chris Marzalek, talking about F1 Racing. And it wasn't one month ago, it was two months ago. Long story short is that's MCO. It's part of Crypto.com. They're making some big moves when it comes to partnerships and trying to bring cryptocurrency to the masses. Where can you buy MCO? Well, you can buy on OKX, Binance JEX, Fulgury, Gate.io, Kyber Network, and YoBit. Now, remember, Crypto.com is a place to buy cryptocurrency. So you can also go there, buy crypto on Crypto.com, their wallet, their app, and probably buy their native token as well and stake their native token. I was on their website and it looks as though you get about 6.2% staking APR. But as I always warn when it comes to these tokens, make sure that you have liquidity, especially if you're a U.S. citizen or a U.K. citizen. It is very easy for them to, you know, one of these exchanges like Gate.io. It stops supporting U.S. customers or stops supporting certain coins in the U.S. And then you have no liquidity. Always make sure that you're doing everything as safe and secure as possible. And also make sure that when you buy something that you do have liquidity. Now let's get into Decrypt Scott Cipollina interviewing eToro CEO Yoni Asia. I know that there's been a 121% increase um, in Q2 compared to the same period last year in terms of new registered users. Um, can you tell me what you think is behind this? Is this a part and parcel of a wider cryptocurrency trend or is it something that eToro is doing specifically to see such a big increase? I think in general, it's not only about crypto. It's both about crypto and what's happening in general in the markets and in this very interesting secular trend of the rise of millennial investors all around the world. Since uh, March, 2020, we've seen an inflection point in the interest of consumers, both in commission-free stock trading, as well as cryptocurrencies. And obviously, since then, both the capital markets, the stock markets are at an all-time high. And obviously, during post Q1 and Q2 this year, we've seen a very volatile and up-trading market uh, in the crypto markets as well. Yeah. So I, I think it's really about an entire generation waking up to capital markets, whether it's uh, equities or crypto. And why do you think that is? I mean, some people obviously will point maybe to 
to the pandemic, right? And they'll say people are spending a lot more time at home, even on their phones, and they have maybe more time to consider investment strategies and investment portfolios, things of that sort. Is that a guiding feature of this phenomenon, or do you think it's down to something else? I think it's part of it, but I think the bigger picture is this actually happens every generation. If you think about the dot-com era, that was sort of the, the previous generation uh, uh, rally, right? Uh, and every generation at some point reaches their sort of savings period. So generation Y today is roughly uh, if, uh, the average age. I don't remember whether it's average or median of their mid 30s, where they start basically having capital to allocate to the markets. And if you think about the dialogue over the Internet, right? So this is a, also a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So people are talking about what do I do with my money mm -hmm. where there's zero interest rates or even negative interest rates in some places. And obviously everybody's reading and hearing about crypto markets. They're reading and hearing about technology IPOs. Uh, so it's a, a very large discussion that's happening worldwide on social networks like eToro, like Reddit, where people are gaining more interest in the markets, realizing that over time, they need to allocate more of their capital into the market. And we hear a lot about, you know, within the crypto industry, obviously, we hear a lot about how different crypto assets, not necessarily only Bitcoin, but we hear it with Bitcoin a lot, how it can act as a hedge against inflation and that it's, it's, it's similar or can be described as digital gold. Do you think that that's a guiding principle for people that have started to use your platform specifically with regard to investing in crypto? Definitely, it's a it's a key point for any crypto investing and, and then specifically to the king of crypto Bitcoin is the fact that uh, Bitcoin uh, is by definition, uh, you know, has fixed supply and therefore at some point will be deflationary versus any type of uh, uh, fiat currency. And I think we are seeing a very significant dialogue about both inflation uh, so sort of purchasing power diminishing over time of fiat currency uh, alongside, you know, the uh, huge amounts of money printing all around the world, whether it's Europe or the infrastructure bill in the U.S., people mm -hmm. are realizing that governments basically have their, uh, ha have their hand on the trigger of the printing machine. Yeah, um, brilliant. And in terms of just to sort of segue from the... Um from some of those key highlights that we've discussed in terms of your Q2 results. What's what's next for eToro? What, what is it essentially that you would like to see eToro achieve to in the in the in the short future, but also looking further ahead in the horizon? What are what are the, some of the long-term aims for eToro? For us, it's very exciting for us to see our long-term vision of opening the global markets for everyone to trade and invest in a simple and transparent way, manifesting now into a very significant dialogue and trend worldwide. So we're very excited about the 121% growth to 2.6 million registered users in a quarter. And we want to see that trend accelerate over time. We're expanding overseas. We've seen outsized growth in our uh, US and America's uh, region. So definitely a, a great uh, exploration of uh, the U.S. markets in crypto now and expanding into equities as well. Uh, so we're very excited about uh, generally just expanding 
our vision expanding uh, the social network to bring in more investors from all around the world to help them get educated about capital markets uh, to create and foster connections of people learning from one another and we're very proud at our popular investor network which is now 1700 popular investors who generate very impressive and consistent uh, returns and results over time uh, and as they grow with us they just keep on generating performance uh, year over year and it's great to see those talented investors one out of a thousand funded accounts in eToro who become really successful investors and other people can learn from them and automatically copy them so our, our view of the both, both sort of medium term and long term is this secular trend that we're seeing in the rise of millennial investors we're just seeing sort of the beginning of it and we're going to see tens of millions of users, if not hundreds of millions of users worldwide, participating in capital markets, bringing the retail voice in capital markets to be a more significant one. And we're happy to help retail investors collaborate, uh, learn and educate each other through the social network of Toro. Right. And obviously, at some point, just something I'd like to focus on a little bit at the moment, you mentioned your expansion to the United States, which, uh, of course, that began in 2018. Um, and you also mentioned the infrastructure bill. So it just got me thinking, what are your thoughts on some of the conversations that we've seen coming out of the United States with regard to broader regulatory frameworks being put in place for the crypto industry? I know that we've seen just over the last few weeks, um, SEC Chair Gary Gensler has said some, so he, some very clarifying um, things about his stance on crypto. Uh, he, he's mentioned that he doesn't believe cryptocurrencies um, fit the definition of money. Uh, he's also said that some um, platforms in the DeFi space could be, uh, speaking generally here, could be selling unregistered securities. And he's come, he's come along a, a bit of a long way in terms of, you know, flying the flag of consumer protection within crypto. Is that something that, given your, exp your recent expansion to the United States, is that something that you're mindful of and something that you think eToro is going to have to wrestle with in the future? Well, first of all, we're definitely very mindful of regulation worldwide. We're one of the very few high growth fintech platforms who are regulated across uh, Europe, UK, Australia, the US and expanding our regulatory licenses. And unlike most of the crypto companies out there, our origins are within financial, regulated financial services. So we've mm -hmm. offered to trade in securities before we offered uh, to trade in cryptocurrencies, right? So we actually yeah. transitioned the business to support cryptocurrencies very early on back in 2013, but we constantly basically adopted the same uh, infrastructure, the same regulatory requirements that we have in securities towards trading in crypto markets. And we helped our regulators understand better how blockchain works, how crypto assets work, how do those trading markets work? By the way, they work quite similar to currency markets or FX markets, which are decentralized by nature as well. I think over time, what we see globally, and that applies to the US the same as it applies to many other jurisdictions, there's basically a discussion between various regulators uh, about who has the authority to regulate crypto, whether it's a commodity in the case of the United States. So if Bitcoin is a commodity, then uh, oversight goes to the CFTC. If it's a security, it's the SEC. Very similar dialogues happening in many markets between either 
various regulators, whether it's the banking regulators, securities regulators, or commodities regulators, and gradually creating infrastructure. And we've seen that happening in Japan and Switzerland, in the UK, uh, in the US, gradually sort of creating the right infrastructure that enables both consumer protection, but also for companies to innovate. I think there's still a road. If, if we think about the last five years, I think we've done a significant advancement in, in, regulatory, in regulatory understanding and framework around Bitcoin specifically as an asset class. I think as we progress and see more innovation in the space of DeFi, which is super interesting, I, I think it'll, it'll still take time for global regulators to really understand how to manage and regulate, you know, purely code, right? It's very, mm -hmm. regulators are, are used to regulating not technology or code, uh, but people and processes. Uh, and, and regulating code is something very different and there is a question on how you do it, but there's no doubt that we'll see more regulators uh, looking at this industry uh, and in the name of a customer protection, trying to create rules and regulations to prevent, you know, to prevent problematic scenarios such as fraud, etc. And sometimes they will need the assistance of the industry to make sure that the rules that are uh, brought into place uh, do not hinder on innovation. And you mentioned at one point there, thank you for that, Yoni, you mentioned um, helping regulators to understand this, this growing and, and, and still quite young industry. Um, and you mentioned DeFi as well. So um, I would just like to bring in a couple of things, obviously, that we've seen within the DeFi space in recent weeks. The poly network hack, obviously, we, that's the greatest hack the crypto industry has ever seen in terms of, in terms of sheer numbers. Um, could you drill down to me some of the specifics in terms of your dealings with regulators, not necessarily only in the United States, but I'm quite interested in the United States because, um, you know, as, as I said, um, SEC Chair Gensler, he's mentioned that uh, the DeFi space could be seeing a lot of unregistered securities. He's also um, poured some cold water onto the idea that it's truly decentralized in the first place. Um, so could you maybe sort of drill down for me what those conversations with regulators have been like? Um, I know that, of course, in I think it was April, uh, you guys added Chainlink and Uniswap trading. So you're in there, you're on the ground with DeFi. How does that work in terms of relationships with regulators and what have been their biggest concerns and your biggest challenges? I think that, you know, if you look at financial services regulations, I think the most important part starts with uh, what's called in, in the UK cost or, or customer asset segregation in general, right? So making sure that the financial institution actually holds the assets that he has on behalf of their clients. I think that that is sort of, if you think about core problem of the crypto space or, or generally dealing with unregulated financial services is if you deposit money within a, you know, a company, a product, and you don't know the next day whether they're, they're actually holding it. So, so that's the cornerstone of any financial services regulation is first making sure that the assets of users are, are well protected and segregated. And I think it's a bit different if you think about crypto assets versus traditional assets. It uh, depends, of course, we have our own air-gapped uh, uh, cold storage facilities that we've built, but it's about explaining regulators, how do you custody digital assets? How do you custody 
assets where you are actually the custodian and without a third party custodian uh, necessarily. Um, how do you uh, monitor it through the blockchain? Uh, and how do you make sure that there are sufficient cyber security controls, et cetera, to avoid hacks uh, uh, and uh, cyber security threats, which are obviously very sensitive uh, within the crypto community. I think sort of those are the two main things that were covered by a lot of the various regulators. I think the second part is around AML. I think uh, regulators are, are concerned about money laundering and wanted to make sure that companies that are regulated have the same standards of anti-money laundering uh, and uh, uh, generally oversight and monitoring of transactions similar to regulated financial services, uh, both in Europe and in the US. I think it's very, very clear the requirements uh, of crypto companies uh, to uh, do proper know your customer uh, uh, and proper monitoring of the entire sort of onboarding uh, and transactions of users. But I think th those were the, and, and again, there as well, there's a learning curve because crypto assets are very different than traditional financial assets that usually only come from uh, financial institutions. So in financial institutions, you have these rings, right? So it's one bank transferring money to another bank. Banks trust each other because they rely on each other's compliance and regulation, but money always almost transfers in between these regulated financial institutions and they trust each other. And crypto obviously creates a, a, a new layer of the decentralized transactions that come into play uh, within centralized uh, offerings such as eToro uh, or others. So I think th these were the two sort of big pillars uh, that were covered over the last couple of years by regulators. I think the DeFi space, of course, there are the assets themselves and the question uh, that relates to every single asset, which is whether it's a security or not a security, uh, it is a part of our due diligence to make sure that uh, we sell digital tokens that uh, are not deemed securities. Um, and, and, but obviously this changes from one, one uh, sort of regulation uh, or uh, geography to another. Uh, and I think the sort of core of the DeFi space itself of the actual usage of whether it's, you know, Compound or Uniswap or Link, I think that's still uh, an open dialogue on how and where those services uh, can be regulated, by whom, and, how, and the how is very important here. Again, how do you regulate a smart contract that just operates on the web and somebody uploaded it? Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a, a very interesting question because you need to regulate basically the people who uploaded uh, the DeFi in theory, um, but the DeFi on its own works on the blockchain without necessarily the control uh, of the individuals who built it. So the, it, it is a very interesting open question that we'll see keeps on being debated um, uh, uh, over the next couple of years. Yeah, and and how do you if it, just if I could if I could push you slightly on this? How does it? What what factors into your decision making when eToro decides to list a DeFi token? So, for example, Chainlink and Uniswap trading, which has been in place since April, we're talking about some of the you know very significant regulatory challenges that land at the feet of regulators, I suppose, primarily. But then, in terms of 
more direct issues like consumer protection, especially with some of the hacks that we've seen in recent weeks. What are the things that, that you have to calculate before you make a decision like that, before you decide to list a DeFi token in terms of consumer protection for eToro customers? So we, we do quite a significant a sort of uh, listing uh, process before we list any assets on eToro. Uh, of course, it starts with us understanding where are the key interests of our clients. And in that case, we actually ask our clients, what would they like to trade? Uh, goes into sort of an overview or an analysis of uh, the token itself. Uh, first, from a sort of community point of view, an investment thesis point of view, uh, the actual technology and our ability to be able to self-custody, cold storage these assets and obviously protect them. So those are sort of the, the main things that we need covered yet. Uh, then looking at liquidity, how liquid are those tokens who provide liquidity other than us? Are the markets uh, sufficiently deep to provide continuous trading to our customers on them? And of course, a, a regulatory and legal analysis of every single token uh, that uh, uh, goes on the platform. So it's a part of our in financial services, it's called product governance, making sure that there are sufficient and reasonable processes uh, to look at any new product offered to clients. Having said that, that doesn't mean that when we list an asset, we, we think it's necessarily going up. So it's not a position of ours on the price uh, or recommendation of ours to say that you should buy that crypto asset. It is simply a due diligence saying, uh, you know, you you can buy that asset, uh, and we don't consider that asset. By the way, and we've seen a lot of those in the ICO space. Uh, we don't consider here an issue, let's say, of you know, any fraudulent activity or any issues uh, relating to uh, security, etc. Um, regarding pricing, that's always up to the market, right? So it's about supply and demand. Uh, and how much people are excited about the opportunity. And, and I, I think the risks of regulation of DeFi might impact more on the price of the tokens that right now are very much based on the token economics of these DeFi uh, 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 ecosystems, which are completely open. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, leave us a comment, and DiemerForCongress.com, D-I-E-M-E-R for Congress.com. Until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone, and have a great weekend.